to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today is a special episode. Our guest is also the cover star of Very Well Minds' February digital magazine. I'm talking to Charlemagne the God. He's the host of The Breakfast Club, the biggest hip-hop and R&B radio show in America. He's interviewed some of the biggest names in the world, people like Kanye West, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris. He also just started hosting a late-night talk show on Comedy Central called The God's Honest Truth. In 2018, he wrote a book called Shook One. In it, he talked about his personal battle with anxiety. Since then, he's become a huge advocate for mental health, even though that wasn't his original intention. Now he talks openly about going to therapy, and he even started an organization to help other people be able to afford treatment. Some of the things he talks about on today's show are how he finally found the courage to see a therapist, how he learned about his father's struggles with mental health later in life, and the steps he's taking now to manage his mental health. And by the way, Charlemagne the God isn't his real name. That's his stage name. His real name is Leonard McKelvey. And you'll hear him talk about this persona that he created and how it affected him. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Charlemagne the God on how unpacking your emotional baggage can help you grow mentally stronger. Charlemagne, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you for having me very much, Amy. I appreciate you. Well, we appreciate you being here. I, of course, knew about you for a long time, but I really didn't know about your anxiety or any of the other things that you talk about in terms of mental health until a few years ago. You wrote Shook One, and you're on my good friend James Altucher's podcast. And I learned a lot about you then, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Here's this guy who is so open about talking about mental health. Yeah, James is my guy. Me and James actually... um... We, we, we collaborated last year on a project called uh, We've Got Answers on Audible, where I, well, basically, you know, it's so funny. James, um, James is like one of those white friends who's not afraid to ask questions. You know, <laughs> so I was like, yo, why don't I just put together like a, a, a brain trust of people and, and you know, of, of brilliant black minds that I trust. And you just ask them whatever questions you, you want to ask them. But, yeah, I mean, I just um, I just started talking about my journey because it. I, I honestly didn't have anything else to talk about. And what I mean by that is, <laughs> what I mean by that is when you when you go to therapy, I think I started going to therapy in like 2016. And it's like, you think you're going for like one or two things like anxiety and depression, but then you start peeling back all these layers of your life and you start unpacking all of this unhealed trauma that you never even knew you had. And it's literally like, I went through decades of unlearning. It's like everything I thought I knew was a lie. (laughs) Everything that had gotten me to a certain point didn't serve me anymore. So I was just completely empty. And it was like, if I didn't start talking about, you know, just actually what I was going through, I don't, I I really don't know what would have happened, honestly. Well, you ended up in the emergency room with some physical health symptoms, right? And then learned it was anxiety? Oh yeah, throughout my whole 
throughout my whole life, I always would check into the hospital, you know, thinking I was having like heart attacks. Um, but the, the, the last time was 2010. And um, that's when I actually got diagnosed with anxiety. The doctor, you know, literally said to me, you know, you, you got an athlete's heart. Your heart is healthy. He was like, you know, you suffer from anxiety. Um, and I was like, no, not that I know of. And he said, because it sounds like you had an anxiety attack. And he asked me, you know, do you have these frequently? And I was like, yeah, I've been having them my whole life. And then he asked me, was I stressed out about anything? And I was like, hell yeah. Because at the time I was back at home living with my mom at like 31, 32 years old. And my daughter was like one or two. And my now wife was back home living with her parents. So uh, I had been fired for the fourth time from radio and I was collecting unemployment checks. So Yes, I was very stressed out in that moment. So in my mind, all I had to do was, you know, get back in position, get another job, you know, get another get another radio gig and everything would be okay. Next radio gig, gig I got was The Breakfast Club. You know, five years later into The Breakfast Club, I'm having the most success I've ever had in my life, you know, more money than I've ever had in my life. And I'm still not happy. I'm still battling with depression. You know, I'm still having the, the anxiety and the panic attacks. If anything, it's even more now. And so like that's when I decided, like, you know what, let me let me go out there and, and and try to get some help in the form of therapy. When you learned that it was a mental health issue and not a physical health issue, what was that like? I still didn't even really understand what that meant, you know, because I was still thinking that, you know, when somebody said you had a mental health issue, like you were crazy, like straight jacket, you know, got to be on some type of medication, you know, having personality disorders. Like I think about, you know, people that I loved growing up who went away to the military and then they came home and they were the people walking around, you know, my town, Mount's Corner, barefoot, you know, looking disheveled, like they never were really the same. I think about that when I thought about, you know, mental health. I didn't think about it, you know, in the form of anxiety as a mental health issue or, you know, depression. Like I didn't, I, none of that even crossed my mind. Like I didn't even start realizing that until I started going to therapy in 2016. That's when I started realizing like, oh, you know, these are, these are mental health issues. Right. I hear some people who will say, well, I'm relieved to know, okay, it's not necessarily a physical health issue. It's a mental health issue. But I talk to other people who say, I, I was hoping it was a physical health issue that now that I think of, I have a mental health issue, I'm, I'm I guess, more upset about that. How long did it take you to go to therapy after you went to the doctor and they told you that it was probably more of a mental health issue than a physical health issue? Oh, six years. Cause that was that was 2010. I didn't even start going to therapy until 2016. Cause I literally thought a job would solve those issues. I literally thought those issues were being caused because you know I I, I was collecting unemployment checks and I was back home living with my mom. Um, even when I thought about it from when I was younger, when I when I was younger, I just thought I was a a coward for lack of a better term. I thought I was scary. Like in the hood, we say soft, right? So I would fight if I had to, but I didn't really want to. Can we talk about this? You know what I mean? I would I would rather, you know, run away than, you know, actually be in a physical altercation. But it's like the sweaty palms, the heart palpitations, the shortness of breath, the literally, I used to literally run and hide from people. Like I used to live down this long dirt road. So if I saw a car coming, I would just tell my mind something bad was going to happen and like literally go hide in the woods or go hide in, you know, cornfields. And I always chalked all of that up to like, either number one, being a coward, or, or number two, just not being financially where I needed to be. And neither one of those things had anything to do with just psychologically, neurologically, what was going on in my, my brain. I think a lot of people tend to think that a mental health issue or any kind of struggle 
is a sign of weakness that if I am not happy, if I struggle with anxiety, then I can't be mentally strong. But they're two very different things. We can do lots of things to build mental strength every day. Doesn't guarantee you won't ever get a mental health issue. And I think the other big misconception is people think you're either mentally healthy or mentally ill and that there's nowhere in between. But the truth is our mental health, it's a continuum. We fall anywhere on that continuum on any given day in a different spot, depending on what's going on around us or what's happening to us internally. Yeah. What made you finally decide to say, okay, I'm going to go see a therapist? Um, Talking to different people around me, like we would have like different guests come on the breakfast club. Um, Some people in particular that I remember are like Neil Brennan. Um, my, my, uh, my, also my other good friend, Pete Davidson, you know, even though Pete is like way younger than me, you know, but I've known him since he was like 16 and it's like, he's always, you know, been in therapy and he like, he would just, he would just openly talk about it around me. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of women in my life, like women, those, those were two guys in particular that I remember vividly talking about openly going to therapy, but it's, it's mostly women around me who were telling me the benefits of therapy. And and they would say things like, you need to go do work on yourself. And I'm like, what does that mean? I'm in the gym all the time. You know, like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself every day. But no, they meant like, go do the work on yourself mentally, go do the work on yourself emotionally. And I'm um, like, yeah, like my, my good friend, Amanda Seals and my good, my good sister, Angela Rye, like all of them were like, they all were open proponents of therapy. I got a great friend named Debbie Brown, who's you know, really, really big in the mindfulness space. You know, she works with, you know, Chopra and she she was always encouraging me to, to find healing. And, and therapy always seems to be like the gateway for people to like get the, get the other, get the other aspects of healing. So it was just, it honestly was just listening to people around me and, you know, seeing the benefits that therapy was doing for them. And I was like, I want, I want that kind of peace. Do you remember what it was like the first time you walked through the door of the therapist's office? Yeah, it felt very strange at first because it was like, you know, where do you begin? And it's almost like telling the doctor what hurts, you know? And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain these feelings I have, right? Which, of course, was anxiety. And, you know, then you start talking about your bouts of depression. And, you know, I used to just always say, hey, man, I have extreme highs, extreme lows. That's just life. But, you know, sometimes those lows would like, you know, really, really stick there. And then, you know, when she um, she starts asking you questions about things like suicide and man, you know, you you've had those moments, you know, like I've had I've had those breakdown moments of one in particular where like, you know, like my friends were calling my parents to come like talk to me. I was living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. And my parents were in Mount's Corner and it was just like, yo, I really wanted to like do it. Like I was, I was, I was saying it all week. It was like a weekend, went into a week. I'm like, yo, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here no more. So my pops, you know, he drove an hour and a half to come just like kick it with me and talk to me. And there was the things he told me in that moment were actually like really beneficial. What I wish he would have told me, which he didn't tell me until years later, um, literally years later, like 12 years later after I put out you know, my book shook one is that he, you know, wanted to kill himself 30 plus years ago. And he went to a therapist two and three times a week. And he was on 10 to 12 different medications. And he eventually, they just, the state of South Carolina just started giving him a check every month. You know, what we call a crazy check. That's what we would call it in the country. So it's like, yo, man, back in 2000, what year was that? 
four, three or four, when I was really, really thinking about like ending it all, like, man, that conversation would have went a long way, you know? And I, and I think about, I even think about the things we spoke about in that moment. He never brought up him wanting to commit suicide, not once. But it was like when I really, when I came out with Shook One and I really was just being open about things that I was dealing with, that's when he like literally just told me everything he had been going through. Wow. So when your book came out, he then started talking about his own experiences a lot more openly. Was that really the first time you guys had had those open conversations about mental health? Ever. And I, it was it was it was uh, November of 2018 because it was it was a week of Thanksgiving because I was home in South Carolina for that week. And um, I had a younger cousin. He's 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 25. He attempted suicide four times, like throughout his throughout his young 25 year life. And on the fourth time, he actually completed suicide. And um, it was the same week, that same week when I was home for Thanksgiving, that happened. And so between that and uh, my book, my dad just was like, hey, man, you know, he, was, he was talking. He was, hey, man, um, yeah, man, I was reading your book, man. And, you know, between that and, you know, um, your cousin dying, cousin killing himself. He was like, I just want you to know, man, like I, I, I went through a lot of those same things, man. You know, I wanted to you know, kill myself 30 years ago. Only reason I didn't do it is because of you and your older sister. No, I was on 10 to 12 different medications. And, you know, um, I went to therapy two and three times a week. And I was like, man, I remember asking my mom, like, yo, because, you know, they're divorced. They've been divorced for a long time. But I remember just asking her, like, did you know Pops was going through all that? She was like, I just thought he was playing crazy to get a check. But he really was going through, you know, what, it, what, what he was going through. And I remember that. Like, I remember being a kid and remember him, like, being super paranoid and saying things like the devil comes to you know, attack me while I'm sleeping. That's why he, he used to always sleep with a knife and a gun next to his bed. Like, and, you know, he used to he used to have, like, really bad substance abuse issues, alcohol and, and, and cocaine. And it's like, I remember going to visit him in rehab. So I just think about all of those things my pops was going through back then. And one thing therapy did for me, therapy made me, at, at, at one point I, was, I hated my father because of therapy, because I realized a lot of my issues were, you know, because of what, I had a lot of daddy issues. You know, and um, I just realized, man, he was just doing the best he could with with what he had. And, you know, he was using the resources that were available to him at the time to try to be a better human. And, you know, he just wasn't capable of pouring into me the way I probably wanted to get poured into because he just didn't have it. <laughs> you know, he was just he was just on E at the time. So, yeah, therapy helped me to have a lot of grace when it comes to comes to my pops. I guess a couple of things there. One, as a therapist, I always ask people about their family history of mental health issues. 99% of the time, people are like, none that I know of. And then as we start talking, they might say, oh yeah, I have this aunt that used to go away for a while. We don't really know where she went or she'd go in the hospital for a while or somebody takes medication, but I don't know why. Because for most of us, my family included, it's just never discussed. It's never talked about. And then we find out, oh yeah, there actually are. I mean, I don't think there's probably anybody on the planet who doesn't have a family history of mental health issues. It's all there. But for whatever reason, it's never discussed. So fascinating that it was, took your book for all of this to come forward. And then sounds like that gave you some new compassion for your dad to then better understand, oh, here's why he couldn't give me the things I needed growing up sometimes. Absolutely. And that's just, that's just one person, right? So my youngest sister you know, definitely has her own challenges. But I don't, I, I haven't heard this from anybody else in my family. Like nobody else. So that's impossible, right? Like, like, like to your point, you know, the family members that probably had to go away and things like that. I don't know anything about any 
of that. I just know what my father told me, and I know my little sister has her challenges. My mom, you know, she went to therapy as well, but it was because she was, you know, I guess grieving in a sense because her and my pops was going through a divorce. And, it, and it's, you know, it's so it's crazy how you know certain things trigger you and you don't even realize it. Like I um I used to be like really hard on Lauren Hill, even though she's like super talented and like amazing. But like I would always like hear her music or hear her name and 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 get upset, get angry, and didn't really know why until. I put it together that when I was a child and my mom was going through a divorce with my dad, she used to listen to X Factor over and over and over and over and over again. So at first I'm like, damn, my mom is cool. She like Lauren Hill. But then it was like, nah, mom's in pain. So whenever I hear that song, I think of that song, I think about what my mom was probably going through. And it just made me project on the artist's Lauren Hill as if she did anything to me, <laughs> you know? So it's just, right. it's just strange how that, no, it's not strange. It's, it's, it's actually fascinating how that works. It is. I think there's so many dots in life that we don't often connect. And then when you do connect them, you have these aha moments of, oh, that's why yeah. this strange thing happens or I have this physical experience when something happens or this is why I like or don't like certain things in life. We can often trace it back to something just like that. Yep. One of the other things I really appreciated when you talk about therapy is you use a phrase about unpacking things. I'll hear a lot of other people say, I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to open that can of worms. But you talk about it as, no, I get to go in and I get to talk about these things and then I don't burden my family with it, but instead I get to unpack it. Can you explain a little bit more about how you feel like you're unpacking things in therapy? Yeah, I um, I feel like it's like you're moving into, you're moving out of an old house and moving into a new house. So it's like, you know, when you're moving out, you know, you start literally packing things away and things that you don't want, like you, you discard, right? You get rid of or you give them to somebody else. The things you want to keep, you pack up, you want to bring them with you. And when you get to the new place, you're, you're able to organize things better. And you got a lot less. So being that you got a lot less, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot neater, right? And And that's how it feels when you're in therapy. It's like, got all this mess, all this junk inside of our brains. And it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're unpacking this stuff and we're looking at it. We're laying it out on the table for the first time. And you're like, you know what? I don't need that anymore. Let me get rid of that. Uh, yo, I'm going to keep that. Uh, oh, shoot, I forgot I had that. You know what? That reminds me of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, like you said, helps you connect, connect those dots. So I think, yeah, unpacking is the best way. I, I always like using the analogy of like, moving out of an old house and then moving into a new one. Because literally so many things get lost in transit. Like you realize how much stuff you don't need. And that's literally how I was. When I started going to therapy in 2016, I think I was 36, 37, maybe 38. I don't remember. 38, I turned 40 in 2018. And it's like going into my 40s, it was the most vulnerable and raw I had ever felt because all of this stuff I thought I knew that got me to a certain point that helped me to survive, I discarded. I didn't have no use for them anymore. And it felt like I was showing up for the first time, like as myself, like as Lennard, not the character Charlemagne that I created to protect that little boy from Monk's Corner, South Carolina, like really showing up as my myself. 
And man, I was, I mean, even still now, I still second guessing myself. Like, you know, will people like me? Will they like this version of me? You know, it's it's weird. I get more people come up to me now that will say things like, um, man, you talk about therapy too much, right? Literally, somebody said that to me on Instagram last night. Somebody was like, don't you realize you're actually depressing people? Because all you talk about is mental health. But it's like when I was doing my wild shock jock thing, nobody ever came to me and said, I'm tired of you doing that. I'm tired of you. You know, it was never, never any of that. But when it's something that actually has been beneficial to me and other people, people are like, oh, I'm tired of it. Interesting. What made you decide to, to make it public that you were seeing a therapist and that you were getting treatment? I honestly didn't have anything else to talk about because that's all that was on my mind. I didn't have any confidence. So it's almost like one of those things where like when you don't have confidence and you think you're alone and then you start speaking about something and you realize like, nah, I know exactly how you feel. I'm, I do, I'm, I'm with you. I'm doing the same thing right now. So now you got your tribe. So now when you got your tribe, you feel stronger. Like we all feel stronger when we're, we're not alone, you know? And, um, yeah, it just felt, it didn't feel authentic to come in there every day on the radio on Breakfast Club and talk about what everybody else was doing. And I've always been a person that prides myself on on being authentic and, you know, sharing these parts of my life that nobody else probably would share. And it just was a, it literally was just an organic thing to do. Like, and it started with me, it started with me talking about how confused I was just about life, right? And if people go back to that time period, they probably can't even remember that. Like, and they probably laughed and thought it was funny, but I was dead serious. And so I just was like, man, I got therapy Friday at three o'clock. And that became like a, 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 a running joke, but it was real. I was really going to therapy every Friday <laughs> at three o'clock. And then I would come in and even start talking about things that my therapist would tell me. Or I'd be doing, you know, breathing exercises that, that so, so not to like jump out the window and get angry at things. And like, I would just be talking about doing the work. It was just regular conversation. And then it just turned into... I don't know. It just turned into this. You know, it turned into me writing a book. My agent was like my, my book agent, Jan Miller. She hit me one day and she was like, you know, your New York Times bestseller did, you know, very, very well. Like, you know, you know, Simon Schuster really wants the second book. And I'm like, second, I just gave you my my life. And she was like, is there anything going on with you right now? And I'm like, no. In fact, I am more confused now than I've ever been in my life. I wrote that book. With just telling my story, my first book, just wrote the book telling a story, having no understanding of what that story actually did to me as a human being, having no understanding of how those stories in that book contributed to so much of my pain, so much of my trauma, so much of the, the depressed, anxious individual I am. And um, man, I had I was keeping a journal in therapy, and I literally just took the pages of that journal. And, and, you know, showed it to them. And then, you know, Jan brought in my man, Dr. Ish Major. And Dr. Ish literally just was giving these clinical correlations to the things that I was describing. And I put that book out and, and haven't even looked back. And what's so crazy about that, Amy, is like, you know, one thing about those books, you forget you have to go promote them. Right. Well, I had to go promote that book at the most vulnerable time in my life where I had zero confidence, where I was insecure as hell, where I didn't have any sense of worthiness. 
So imagine how my anxiety used to be before I used to go on programs like Dr. Phil and everything else. And it was like, I just went on those shows and just spoke. That's it. I just told everybody what I was going through. Didn't try to hide anything. Didn't try to sugarcoat anything. And it resonated and connected with, you know, a lot of people. And um, I became like this unofficial, I guess, mental, mental, mental health advocate. And then once again, you start connecting dots, right? When I was 17, on this arm right here, I have this janky ass tattoo of Wolverine from the X-Men. And Wolverine from the X-Men is holding a microphone in his hand. Because I used to think I want to rap. I used to think I wanted to rap and Wolverine was my favorite X-Men character. Why was Wolverine my favorite X-Men character when I was a kid? Because I used to love his healing powers. That's, li that's literally what it was. I used to love his healing powers. And I was like, man, I love the fact that Wolverine can bounce back from anything. And so I, I, I took that on. Like, I want to have the characteristics of Wolverine. I was 17 when I got this tattoo. Now I'm 43 years old and I'm realizing like, man, I thought about getting this tattoo covered up like the last decade of my life. But the reality is this is what God always had planned for me. He wanted me to go find healing so I can tell my story to help other people heal. And the microphone, which I thought was for rap, was the radio. It was the podcast. It was the TV. So it's like nothing happens for no reason. Nothing at all. So I'm keeping this janky tattoo. And I wish that, uh, you know, my, my daughter's, well, my oldest daughter, she used to always ask me what my tattoos mean. And I used to be like, ah, oh, nothing. It's a bunch of nonsense. I want to get them all covered up. But now it's like, no, this really does mean something. And one of the things I super appreciate about your story is, is you've taken us on the journey as you go through it. A lot of people talk about their anxiety that they used to have, or they talk about, yeah, I struggle with depression. I had these issues in my life, but look at me now. I'm doing well. And it's easy to talk about those things when we talk about them in the past. You've taken us on this journey with you. And you even did a live therapy session, right? Oh yeah, I don't know why I did that. That was, <laughs> no, I really don't. I I I don't know why I did that. I really, I re to this day, I don't regret it at all. But it's just like that's not for people to see. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. really, it's really, it's really not for people to see. And um, yeah, I've had some like wild therapy sessions, and it's like I can only imagine. Like I love Dr. Jessica Clemens, but I can only imagine if that was like my real therapist sitting there you know, pushing me because that wasn't scripted or anything. That was live. I didn't know what, you know, Dr. Jess was going to ask me uh, or anything or push me on or anything. And uh, I, I remember one, one thing that hit me real hard from that session was when she was just asking me, like, she asked me, do I think I deserve my wife? And wow. that was like, man. And the answer was no. You know, which is one of the reasons that I, I I really did get my get my act together. I've been with her for 24 years. And it's like I've seen, um, you know, I've seen what a dysfunctional family looks like. I saw what my father did with my mom and, you know, how his infidelities almost broke up. Well, no, they did break up our family. You know what I mean? And it's like I didn't want I didn't want to be that. So it got to a point where I realized I was becoming just like him in every single way. I was becoming just like him as a man. And I, and I didn't want that. And like my wife, we've been together for 24 years. We've been married since 2014, but we've, we've been together. We're high school sweethearts. We've been together for 24 years. So we've literally grown together. So we've seen 
the best of each other, the worst of each other. And it's just like we've, 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 we've stuck with each other and just constantly evolved and constantly grew in love with the people, you know, who, who, who we became and are still becoming. But I just remember that question, like, nah, no, I don't. And I remember my dad, um, my dad really thought something was wrong with me after that. Really? No, really. Like, really? Yeah. Like, he, he, I remember him saying, him saying to my little brothers, like, man, that ain't, that, something, something's up. That's not him. That's not him. And it's just like, yeah, it's not me. Like, I'm, I'm becoming, whatever you thought I was, I'm growing into something else and I'm evolving into something else and I'm laying it all out, you know, for, for, the, for the world to see, so. Yeah, and you posted something recently on Instagram about like, wouldn't it be too bad if at 50 we still were the same person we were at 20? Something to that effect, I'm yeah. paraphrasing, but. That's Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali said the man who thinks the same at uh, 50 that he did at 30 has wasted 20 years of his life. Right. And that's how I've always felt. Like, I don't want to waste a moment. I, I, I want to I constantly always be evolving and growing. Like, I really want to feel what it is to be a spiritual being living a human existence. And I don't think that happens if you don't get your mental and emotional and spiritual well-being together. So aside from going to therapy, what do you do to evolve mentally, spiritually, and emotionally? Meditation. Um, something I got into a couple of years ago, meditation. Um, man, I'm down for everything. Crystals, <laughs> like sage. I go out in the yard when it's warm and walk around barefoot and do grounding exercises. Like I'm, I'm willing to, to try it all. I can't wait to try ayahuasca. Like I'm, I want to try it all. Like I want to experience every single healing procedure there is. We're excited to see what happens then. And hopefully you'll share your journey along the way. 100%. One last question before you before we go. Can you just tell us a little bit about the Mental Wealth Alliance? Yes, the Mental Wealth Alliance is a foundation that I started because, you know, if I'm going to do the work, I might as well do the work for real. And, you know, I started donating money to different organizations that were on the ground doing the work. Organizations I never even heard of until I got into this space, you know, like Black Men Hill and, um, you know, Dr. Alfie, who runs my foundation, you know, she has her Acoma project. It's so many different ones throughout the country. And I figured like, look, man, I can raise money being me, right? And I probably can raise money faster than these organizations. So let me start this foundation, raise the money and distribute it to these people who are doing the work. And we have three pillars, which is a uh, train, teach and treat. And we want to, you know, um, get 10 million black people over the next five years, free therapy. And we want to increase the number of, you know, uh, uh, mental health care professionals to at least reflect the population of black people in America. Because I think right now, I don't, they only make up like three to four percent. So we want to do that by, you know, providing scholarships and, you know, paying for people's courses and things like that. And we want to get, you know, uh, social and emotional learning and, and, and more mental health literacy in, in, in schools. Like, you know, we want to get actual legislation passed to where these are curriculums in schools. Like these things are necessities, like mental health literacy, social, emotional learning in schools is a necessity. Like, like it, it has to happen. Like this isn't something that we can even play with anymore. We got PE, we got physical education. We need that mental health education in schools. I agree. I don't know why it's taken us this long before we're having these conversations about doing that. Because what good does it do if you can grow up 
doing math really well if you can't control your anger or you don't know what to do when you're in a bad mood, all of those sorts of things. Well, Charlemagne, thank you so much for talking to us, for sharing your story and for uh, letting us follow your journey along the way. Amy, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is a part of the show where I'll break down Charlemagne's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Charlemagne's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, talk about your family history of mental health issues. Charlemagne didn't realize his father had struggled with mental illness until they had a conversation a few years back about it. Like many people, mental health problems weren't really discussed in the family. It's quite common, but it's important to develop an understanding of your family history if you can. Obviously, not everyone can go back and find out if their parents or their grandparents had any mental health issues. Mental illness often goes undiagnosed, and up until fairly recently, many mental health conditions weren't widely recognized. Some mental health issues do run in families, though, so it might be helpful to know if your parents or your siblings have had any struggles. It can be an uncomfortable subject to bring it up, though, if you've never talked about it. But you might want to find a way to broach the subject. It could be as simple as saying something like, hey, my doctor asked me the other day if we had any family history of depression. I didn't know the answer. Do you? Or you might talk about your own mental health as a way to open the door to a conversation. Number two, see a therapist. Like many people, it took Charlemagne a long time to see a therapist, even after he was told that he had anxiety by an emergency room physician. But he's talked so openly about how therapy has helped him that he's inspired many other people to give it a try too. And the fact that he shared his therapy experiences with the world shows just how strongly he believes in it. I can't tell you how many people have walked into my therapy office after waiting years to get help. Many times I've heard people say, I wish I would have done this sooner. And I've never heard anyone say, I should have waited longer to start therapy. If you've been putting therapy off for a while or you've just started considering it, reach out to a therapist if you can. Whether you see someone online or you talk to a mental health professional in person, unpacking some of the things you've been carrying around with you might help you feel better and grow stronger. And number three, experience healing procedures. Charlemagne said he's open to doing anything that might help him heal mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He says he's open to meditation, using crystals, and even walking around barefoot to do grounding exercises in his yard. I love that he said he's interested in trying different kinds of things that could help him grow and learn too. Quite often I hear from people who are quick to say, that's not going to work, or that sounds a little too hokey to try. But you won't know what could work for you unless you give it a shot. And who cares if it seems a little bit weird on the surface? You might find it helps you in some unexpected ways. And of course, I'm not saying that you should experiment with things that go against your beliefs or things that might be dangerous. But you can be open to new things, even if you're a little bit skeptical about whether they're going to help. So those are three of Charlemagne's strategies that I highly recommend. Talk about your family mental health history, see a therapist, and be open to trying a variety of healing procedures. To learn more about Charlemagne and the work he's doing, check out his website, cthagodworld.com. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.